this week, mystery, suspense, adventure, really spooky space bugs. We're going deep into Wolf 359, right here on Radio Drama Revival. And now, from the makers of Cold Water Omo, I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to showcasing the diversity and vitality of audio theater, past, present, and future. We have such an adventure for you today. I am so pleased to bring you an episode of Wolf 359, which I think is one of the tightest shows operating today in the audio drama space. Wolf 359 is the brainchild of writer-director Gabrielle Urbina, and it tells the story of the Hephaestus, a privately run research space station orbiting a red dwarf star named Wolf 359, located in the constellation Leo, in case you were curious. The Hephaestus' crew consists of tough-as-nails commander René Minkowski, the possibly mad scientist Alexander Hilbert, the artificial intelligence Hera, and Doug Eiffel, the lackadaisical but nonetheless competent communications officer. Eiffel is the show's narrator. We'll be talking to Emma Scherzarko, who plays Minkowski, and Zach Valenti, who plays both Eiffel and Hilbert, after today's feature. The first season of Wolf 359 starts off kind of slow, but once it builds up ahead of steam, this show does not stop. It is relentless. There are so many twists and turns and spoilers that I had to choose the episode I wanted to play today very carefully. So, I'm giving you Extreme Danger Bug, an episode that functions as a standalone ambassador piece that doesn't give away too much about the overall plot. This is episode 10 of season 1, and despite being taut and frenetic and exciting, it's what Urbina would probably consider a breather episode. Because right after this episode takes place, the plot of Wolf 359 begins to accelerate rapidly in ways I do not want to explain, because I want you to experience them yourselves, you lucky creatures. If you've spent time writing fiction, or if you've burned a few hours on TVTropes.org, you're probably familiar with the idea of Chekhov's gun. It's a dramatic axiom that says, if you establish that there's a gun on the mantelpiece in Act 1 of your play, it must go off by the end of Act 3. Wolf 359 is a masterclass in this technique. It's basically Chekhov's armory. No idea is too small to be important. It all comes back later. There is no idle exposition in Wolf 359. It may seem that way, but I promise you, it's just another gun on the mantelpiece. That's enough from me for now, at any rate. Uh, sit back, get comfy, put in your earbuds, and turn down the lights as we begin episode 10 of Wolf 359, Extreme Danger Bug. Enjoy. Welcome to Wolf 359. Welcome, friends, to a very special live-action episode of the Log of Douglas Eiffel, Communications Officer to the Stars. Today I'm going to shake things up a bit be a little less NPR and a little more National Geographic with some mobile reportage. Rather than just hearing me droning on and on and on about all the terrible stuff that happens around here, let's look for some of the terrible stuff as it happens. Ooh, here we go. Looks like we've stumbled onto a wild Minkowski, 
or as it's scientifically known, Stichus updiasus, in its natural habitat. Let's get a closer look. Hey, Commander. Eiffel, what the hell are you doing? Get that microphone out of my face. I'm documenting life on the station for future generations. Eiffel, this is really not the time. Shh, shh, shh. <clears throat> Here we see the Minkowski in a rare moment of symbiotic cooperation with one of its neighboring species, the Creepus Maximus. Any words for posterity, Dr. Hilbert? Not now, Eiffel. This is very delicate. Eloquent as always, such a lovely, delicate species. Would it kill you to stop messing around and give us a hand? Oof, sorry, Commander, but as a documentarian, I have a sacred duty to observe without perturbing the natural order of things, so no can do. But anyway, what is this thing you're both hauling? Some kind of tank? What? What do you mean, what is it? It's one of the nitrogen tanks for the station's fuel rotation. You say that like it's supposed to mean something to me. It should. You were supposed to depressurize this thing this morning. Oh. You do remember me asking you to do that, right? Yes. And you did depressurize this tank, right? Yes. Is that... Yes, I did it, or yes, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I don't want to get in trouble. Yes. God damn it, Eiffel. Do you have any idea how dangerous an improperly regulated nitrogen tank can be? Ah, come on, how bad can it be? This thing looks super solid. See, safe as hell. Anybody who's not dead, say, ow. Oh, ow. Ow. Eiffel, one of these days I am going to actually kill you. Honestly, Commander, I may well beat you to that. Jesus, did that thing just go through that wall? Hira, tell me that tank didn't hit an electric line or something. Is anything going horribly wrong? Um... Hira, sit rep, now. Uh, well, it seems the tank went through one of the station's exterior walls. What? But, but, sensors show that the room you're in isn't losing air or pressure, so, um, yay? I'm I'm really not sure what's happening here. Hand me that flashlight. Hira... What are you talking about? This isn't an exterior wall. There's a room right here. No, there's not. Commander, I'm looking at the station schematics and uh, all my sensory inputs, there's nothing there. And I'm looking through this hole with my eyes and I'm telling you that there's a room right here. Look, if I just step through the hole... No, don't! There, see? Where am I showing up on the station sensors? Outer space, Commander. The station's positioning trackers are indicating that you're outside the station. Um, Hilbert? Any ideas on how that works? Well, I suppose it's possible that Hira's sensory input hardware was calibrated to exclude this particular section of the station. And 
why the hell would anyone want to do that? Let's find out. Come on. Whoa. How big is this place? It looks like it's at least the size of the observatory, maybe a little bigger. Look, over there. That's the outline of a door frame, but it's been walled up. Does anybody see a light switch? Over here. Must have been disconnected from the power grid. Hero would have noticed if circuits were flowing to a non-existent room. Oh, great. Dr. Hilbert, over here. Look at all these jars and the tools in this drawer. It looks like... Like a medical facility, yes, Commander. This was a laboratory. What's it doing in the... Eiffel, are you all right? No, Commander. There's a dead spider in that jar. A huge spider. Oh. Is that it? Is that it? Look at this thing. Its legs are so hairy. And Jesus, look at that stinger. It's got to be at least as big as my thumb. I hate spiders. Creepy little. It's not just over there, Eiffel. Look, there's more of them in those jars. Whoever owned this lab must have been running genetic experiments on arachnids to make them bigger. What was the objective of that? To spice up my nightmares? Um, did anyone else hear something just now? It's not unheard of to put together large space stations by amalgamating individual parts from smaller crafts. If the Hephaestus was assembled in such a way, this room could just be a vestige from an older mission. I don't know, Doc. That still feels like a stretch. Why go through all the trouble of walling up Charlotte's lab instead of just clearing it out? Hey, looks like this computer terminal's still working. Must be running on emergency power. Let's see. Um, I've got the log of one Dr. Elias Selberg. Entry number 653. Alpha test series has yielded mixed results. Specimen growth and development promising, but extremely high levels of toxicity unintended side effect. Contact with live specimens extremely dangerous, as shown with recent exposure trial. Uh, guys? Captain Loveless has ordered termination of all samples. Shame to lose months of work, but... Hazard undeniable. We'll have to proceed with extreme caution if hope to... Out of juice. That's it for story time. Okay, this place is officially giving me the creeps. Why would anyone go through the trouble of walling this place up just to keep us out? Um... I... I do have an alternative theory, Officer Eiffel... But I don't think you're going to like it. What? Um, well, the walling in, um, it might not have been a way of keeping you out. It may have been a way of keeping something in. That time I heard it, Eiffel. Everyone with me. Back away from the walls, tables, cabinets, anything that could be used as cover. We're going to back out of this room. Quickly. Quickly. Hira, can you pinpoint the location of the other creature in this room? Doctor, I can't see anything going on in that room. I can can barely even hear you right now. 
is this thing even alive? We've been here for over a year and a half. How is it still alive? What has it been eating? Less questions, more getting out of... Hilbert, look out! Doctor, are you... Fine, Commander, but I don't know where the spider went. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Is... Is it gone? I'm... not sure. Let's just get out of this room before it comes back and... I felt your shoulder! Oh, oh God! Oh, come on, no! Light, Jeez. light, give me some light here! Eiffel, are you okay? No. Did it sting you? No. Not yet. Yet? What do you mean? Did you see where it went? Eiffel, Eiffel, stay with me. Where did the spider go? It... Commander, it ran down my shirt. It's standing on my stomach. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. I can feel it walking on my skin. It's hairy and slimy. It's hairy and slimy. Oh, God. Why is hairy and slimy? of you than you are of him. While I normally could get on board with that train, I assure you that in this case I'm definitely the most terrified party. I hate spiders. It's just a bug. It's just a big bug. It's a huge bug. And weren't you paying attention to what you were reading? High levels of toxicity? Extreme danger? It's an extreme danger bug. Easy. Don't talk. Keep your breathing slow. Commander, I can't do this. Quiet. Yes, you can. (laughs) No, I can't. I can't deal with this thing walking on me. Maybe... Maybe if I could just squash it. No, stop. Just one quick blow. Just wham, and then it's gone. I can do this. What if you're not quick enough? What if it stings you before it dies? Eiffel, put your arm down. Okay. Okay, you're right. Eiffel. Oh, good, doctor. You're back. Eiffel, this 
is going to be delicate, so I need you to prepare yourself. First, I'm going to give you a dose of antivenom in case the specimen stings you. I have to administer the serum intravenously. You're going to feel the prick, but you can't flinch. You can't move at all. All right? Don't contract the muscles in your stomach particularly. Just stay relaxed, okay? And then I'll be okay, right? Even if it stings me, it'll be okay. I... I can't guarantee that, Eiffel. This is very good antivenom, but without knowing the exact makeup of the spider's poison, cannot be certain that it'll neutralize it completely. Still better than nothing. Oh, dear God. Okay, let's get this over with. Commander, help me to roll up his sleeve. Slowly. Slowly. Careful. Okay. Eiffel, I'm going to insert the needle now. Don't react. Don't flinch. Don't tighten your abdomen. Don't... Would you just do it before he has a heart attack? Right. Okay. Three, two, one. Good, good. You're doing great. And there. All done. Excellent job, Eiffel. Hilbert, what are we going to do? How are we going to get that thing off of him? I'm thinking, Commander. I'm thinking... What if we just shoot the damn thing? We could find where it is in Eiffel's clothing, put the gun right up to it, aim away from his body, and just shoot the spider clean off. Too risky. The sound alone. What if you miss? Even if you don't, the spider's reflexes might be fast enough to... What? I... I'm going to... Sneeze. What? Don't! Well, it's not like I have a say in the matter, do I? I'm... I'm... Breathe through your mouth slowly. I will let go of your nose in a moment. Okay, we need to do something and fast. Agreed, Commander, but what? I just want the record to show that I think this is a terrible idea. Yeah, well, it's the best one we've got, and you're not going to last much longer. How is this going to work again? We need to kill the spider without striking it, or we risk your life. Solution is simple. Living organisms still need oxygen, so we just remove all the air from the environment. No O2, no spider. Soon as we're ready, Hero will pull the oxygen from the room, taking care of the bug problem. You'll wear this oxygen mask. Pump air directly into your mouth. You breathe normally, but we can't give you a full suit for this to work. So you have to be ready. Without the air, it's going to get very cold here. But you can't move. Not until the spider is dead. We'll be right here next to you, okay? Are you ready? If I die, Hero gets all my toys. I'll take that as a yes. Ready, Hira? Air pumps are ready, Commander, and oxygen is flowing through both your suits and eye mask. All right. Helmets on, Doctor. Start air removal in three, two, one, now. Oh, God. Oh, God. Just hang on for a little bit longer. Is the spider reacting at all? 
Still walking around. Damn things on my chest now. Oxygen levels at 75%. Okay. It's starting to get a little nippy here. Nothing I can't handle. Nothing I can't... Ha! What? This thing is pressing up against me. It's putting its body up against my chest. Ivan, the spider is instinctively reacting to the drop in temperature. It's trying to leech off your body heat. It's a good sign. Let it happen. Just a little further now. This thing is so gross. 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 Oxygen levels at 50%. Steady, Eiffel. Don't twitch so much. Easy for me. Can you say? Oxygen levels at 25% and falling rapidly. Just one more minute. I... I... I can't do this! Get the Sarah! Help! Get it off! 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 Get just in case. Oh. Right. Good thinking. Okay, so now that that's taken care of, if the two of you will excuse me, I'm gonna faint. Hi, friends. Just wanted to check in and let you know that I'm... I'm okay. Well, not okay, okay. I don't think I'll ever really be completely okay after what I just went through. But, you know, hanging in there. Minkowski and Helper just radioed saying they finished up tearing that creepy-ass lab. And there's no more living specimens down there, thank God. Looks like it was just the one. Small comfort, though, but at least it's nice to know I won't run into another one of those things. Well, except for the new recurring nightmare that I'm going to have from now until the heat death of the universe. There's also a bunch of weird stuff down there. Archives, notebooks, some computer files there pulling off that terminal, trying to see if we can't figure out where the hell that room came from. Minkowski says she wants us to go through all that stuff ASAP, but she says I can have some time off on account of the nightmare death spider. I'm kind of appalled that I can't think of a way to unfairly exploit this yet, but my mind is still kind of back at the nightmare death spider. I'm gonna go now, friends. I'm gonna go not sleep. No sleep. Never again sleep. From the USS Sophista Station, this is the newly traumatized Doug Eiffel. Signing off. Good night. And that was Extreme Danger Bug from Wolf 359. Wasn't that fun? Oh man. What I like so much about this show is not just its tautness and its mastery of tone, but also how these relationships are, despite how cartoony things can sometimes get, pretty plausible. I think a lot of that comes from chemistry. The actors all really get along with each other. 
I sat down with Emma and Zach, who between them play three out of the four main characters in season one, to talk about technique, the history of the production, and dirty, dirty fan fiction. Emma Shujarko, Zach Valenti, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you. Great to be here. What have what have you cats been up to? How has the production of the show been affecting your lives lately? Well, lately, it hasn't been affecting my life super, super much. Right now, it's a little bit of a quiet time, I think, in the Wolf 359 production world, but uh, there's a lot that's about to happen. What, how, what does the production timeline look like? That's a really great question. Um, I, I think the, uh, the typical month where we are uploading two episodes, uh, you know, sort of two weeks apart, um, in order to make those two episodes, we have about three to four hours of table reads for, you know, once Gabrielle and Sarah Shackett or uh, myself or Emma uh, get a script ready. Um, we re- sit around the table, do table reads for about four hours. We do a four-hour rehearsal about a week later. Um, and then we book the studio for about five hours. Um, so, you know, it's between 10 to 20 hours a month to make two episodes. Is that, am I off base, Emma? Is that sound right no that's that sounds about right and then and then gabrielle puts in <laughs> countless hours you know like five to 40 more hours on the on the uh post-production so zach you're you're credited as a as a co-producer on the show what what elements of the production do you have your hands in what does that look like for you it really varies in the week uh i think you know it started with me hounding Gabrielle for the show Bible before it was a thing and, you know, like threatening to come to LA and hunt him down to, to do it, um, uh, early, early on. And these days it, you know, it's whatever I have the bandwidth for that I, I notice is not going to happen anyway. Uh, for instance, we just went live with, uh, our, our debut Patreon campaign, which is really, really exciting. And we've been seeing some really positive support. And, you know, where can, morning, where can the folks find that, Zach? Uh, they can find that at patreon.com slash wolf359radio. And, uh, and, you know, it's like Monday, we're going to ship episode 31 and launch this Patreon and, you know, get, get everything on. And it, it's it's been weeks in the making. And on Sunday night... Friday, Gabrielle and I work together. Friday, he's like, I got it, Zach. Have a great weekend. Sunday night, I get a text. So about that video that I'm supposed to make for this page, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Should we just like launch it later? I'm like, no way, man. We got to have that page live when the episode goes live with this announcement that, you know, we're, we're asking for support because Lord knows it's the worst thing in the world is to get people psyched and then they, you know, can't see any of the, the you know, rewards and the, the, they can't take action. Yeah. So that's me at like 1am on Sunday with my camera. <laughs> just like, Hey, what's up? Zach, you had said, um, that, you know, you, you, the episode takes shape after in a, the table read influences the way, um, you're eventually going to record after Gabrielle and Sarah Shackett and you and Emma have had a pass at it. So what, do, do the two of you also contribute to the scripting process? How does that work? 
Oh, yeah. And Gabrielle is the most generous showrunner I can imagine. Um, he really, really is. It's fantastic. The collaborative aspect of this show knows no bounds. Um, mm-hmm. And basically what it looks like is for the first couple episodes of a season, Gabrielle takes the reins and sets the tone. Um, but usually before then, and definitely like during those three episodes, we all sit down. Um, and at this point, I've written an episode and Sarah Shackett uh, has written several episodes I don't have an exact count, but I think more than three for sure. Definitely more than three on her own, and she's contributed. I think there are a couple that are her and Gabrielle. And she was reading drafts early, 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 early on. Yeah, even before we knew that she was part of the the -the behind-the-scenes action, she was Gabrielle's kind of go-to person um, for for advice and ideas and and she's written fan favorites such as Minkowski commanding um so she's really really taken the show to just awesome places that the fans have really responded to i wanted to talk about how all of you met because <laughs> i thought it was just the season 1 cast but Zach you informed me that every single person to date in the cast and crew as of all this recording anyway us, yeah. all 11 Actually, of you attended Wesley now are you counting? Are you counting Jared and James? Yeah, yeah. both of our audio both engineers. Literally every hand that's touched Wolf Three Fifty Nine yeah. has a degree from Wesleyan University. <laughs> what is the atomic center of Wolf Three Fifty Nine? Like, how did how did the core cast meet? So uh, the core cast. Um, so basically, Gabrielle posted a fever dream on Facebook one day. Yo, guys. Came up with this idea, don't know if it's any good, anybody know a voice actor. And a mutual friend of ours that I had done some uh, some sock puppet videos with was like Zach Valenti. And I hounded him, got the script, we started getting off. It was going to be a one-man show, and I was really clear that I wouldn't listen to that show. As much as I'd love to be the center of attention and the only voice on the air, it was just boring. Um, it was a cool concept, but these characters that were happening off screen were so compelling it felt like we were throwing something away to lose them. And that's when we started casting. And Gabrielle basically is the axiom where he basically got to hit up his creative crushes. And thus we all came together and none of us were like super tight. It was Gabrielle and I had had a, an English class together, my junior year, his freshman year. Um, It was the British romantic novel. Totally had nothing to do with anything that either of us ended up doing, but it was a great class. Um, and, you know, we didn't, you know, we interacted a little bit, but we didn't, um, uh, we weren't super close friends or anything. And he, t- he told me afterwards, you know, that he just, he came to see all the, all the plays that I was in. Cause I, that was my thing in college. I was in a lot of plays, um, And he told me after the fact that, you know, he was a big fan of mine, which was super sweet. And he was just such a supportive friend and, um, and collaborator. So, so yeah. So then a couple of years after that, I got a Facebook message from him asking me if I wanted to play the, uh, commander of a space mission on an audio drama series. And I was like, Absolutely, yes. I don't think we auditioned anyone else. (laughs) 
I think we asked for an audition, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we auditioned a bunch of people for Hira, but I think he knew who his Minkowski was. Mm-hmm. Had either of you worked in radio drama before? Zach, I know you had said you'd done you'd done a lot of voiceover stuff prior. Never audio drama work. I grew up addicted to po- uh, not podcasts, uh, audio books. Um, Jim Dale is a personal hero and idol. Um, I had done uh, a bunch of commercial training and a couple of uh, of really obscure commercials and some really <laughs> creepy phone work. Um, so you might be getting a special offer from. Somebody using my voice as a puppet. I cannot say more. I have NDA. But, um. So Emma, I don't. I don't know if we said this while we were recording or not. But the plan is now for you to fly into New York when it is time to record. Yes, um, we've already done it once. Uh, sort of coincided with another another trip of mine. But yeah, the plan is that I will rehearse remotely from from Colorado. And, um, and then Zach and Gabrielle are kind enough to help fly me out to New York. And we're going to do like big, big chunks of recording sessions. How, how did production, how did production work when you were separated by like two time zones? So the reality is that any characters that were corporeally within the narrative in the same space have always been in the same space. So for instance, like there's never been a scene where Minkowski and Eiffel or Hilbert are supposed to be in the same room where Emma and I haven't been in the same room. When Gabriel was in LA, he would always remote in to give us feedback um, and then there were times when he couldn't make it and we would just kind of get it done with Jared. Um, and and with Hira, with Michaela recording, um, because she is the AI through the, you know, through the sort of filter of the PA system, we had that sort of margin of safety um, to make it sound right. And I think, you know, the, there is some times when we're not going to be able to fly Emma out and you're going to notice those episodes. Um, and Kovsky's not, uh, not in the same room. She's going to yeah. be on the radio. So is that, is that where, um, like cigarette candy came from? Was that just a non availability? <laughs> yeah. On I Emma's think part? actually, I think that was the idea was that like Michaela and I were super busy during those, that particular time. And so Gabriel was like, no problem. Bottle I'll episode. just write the Zach show. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what you didn't want it to be in the beginning. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> so so you doing the Hilbert voice makes me wonder how how what it's like to act against yourself, what your process is for that. How do it you is, how do you do it? It is a, a very delicate process. <laughs> um, so basically there are two things, two ways that it goes. The sane way is I do one character, somebody does another character, we do a couple takes, we get it in the can, and we swap. The holy crap, we have 20 minutes in the studio to record <laughs> 17 minutes of content, which was cigarette candy yeah. and several other moments. 
uh, <laughs> is Zach flips back and forth and makes it work. Emma, your website and your resume says that – well, I saw on the your CV from college that you've done uh-huh. a lot of Shakespeare. Yes. Yes, I have. Is that, is that still an interest of yours? Definitely. I haven't done a lot of Shakespeare recently, actually. I think the last play I did was a couple years ago, um, which is really sad to me. But – but yeah, Shakespeare has always been my great passion and both performing and uh, reading and doing some critical work on it as well. Um, the written portion of my thesis was, or my thesis in college was both a performance of Richard III and um, a written component, which um, dissected the the evolution of the role of the villain in um, specifically Elizabethan drama. What is it that you've learned about like Elizabethan drama that comes into the performances that you bring to Wolf 359? People like to say that like if you if you learn to do Shakespeare and you can do Shakespeare well, you can you can do anything when it comes to acting. Um, and in a, on a certain in a certain way that is true, I think. Be- but Actually, I think that Shakespeare comes a lot more easily to me than a lot of modern text. But in my training, which was specifically geared towards Shakespeare, I um, just did so much voice work and so much text work that I apply, apply those methods to all the work that I do. And... Um, for example, I trained at a, at a company called Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts, and um, their their big thing there is um, training you in Linklater, which is a, a vocal technique. Um, what does that entail? It entails so the idea behind Linklater is uh, freeing the natural voice. That's that's the name of the book that. Kristen Linklater wrote and it's basically about physically relaxing your body um or you know finding ways of releasing tension in your body as a mode of freeing your voice interesting and letting your yeah it's it's really life-changing I recommend it for anyone who not only actors but others as well um it can be pretty profound and so I definitely apply that and the the work that I've done with that and the those exercises to anything any performing that I do. I try to do a little a little bit of link later work before a recording session. Um, so speaking of that of of yes. preparing the vocal apparatus, you have to do a lot of screaming. <laughs> In Wolf yeah. 259. Yeah. I think Zach has it worse than I do. Yeah. Not much, much worse. Well, uh, 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 <laughs> so, Zach, how do, you, how do you prepare your body for all the screaming and choking and coughing that Eiffel has to do? Uh, uh, I wish I had a real answer for this. <laughs> um, nothing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of take the uh, the eight year old soccer approach of just sacrifice your body for the sport without any know how. We like to leave the most shrill screaming t- till the end of the recording session, so that Zach ruins his voice just at the end, you know, 
And then he's got two more weeks to, to recover. So it works That's great. That's kind of our strategy. The problem <laughs> yeah. is with uh, Mayday, uh, CC was running a little late. And so uh, oh, no. we had to get the screaming in in the middle. And s- amazingly, oh, no. and I didn't believe this, but Gabrielle said so. And listening to the episode, I, I think it's hard to tell. Uh, I did the screaming just before the uh, the loveless section of of that episode of episode thirty, um, and uh, and I think it's hard to tell, but I, Lord knows, I was like really upset. I was just like felt terrible oh, no. for the rest of that recording session. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it was like this huge scream, and then like a ton of like gurgly, bloody coughs. Which I really enjoy doing. Do you have favorite episodes of the show? Yes, but it's like trying to pick between children. I, not that I have yeah. kids, but have, yeah, Emma, you go. Well, I mean, like, I I have it sort of easy at this point because... Because Minkowski commanding is the Yeah, best. because Minkowski, <laughs> Minkowski commanding, like, it was just the <laughs> most fun for me to do. Yeah, it was the first... Minkowski centric episode and it was just so so much fun height of badass yeah (laughs) and also absurdism um but uh but but yeah like like Zach said there's so many just at this point I feel like every time I get a new script from Gabrielle I'm like I can't believe this this is so seriously um so yeah, it's really hard to pick. I do have I also have a a soft spot for um a couple in the first season actually, like um The Empty Man Cometh. Yeah. That's a it's that's been a, a, a group favorite for a while, I think. The episode I chose um to feature in um in this episode is um, Extreme Danger Bug, episode 10. Yes. That's a fantastic yes. one. I was going to say that one too. That's like, I feel like when we started to really pull together what this show is and could be and is one of the more episodic, but also like feeding the serialized narrative. Like, I feel like it's a really strong, that's like one that we've submitted to contests when we've mm-hmm. entered. That and Box 953 are like the ones we kind of choose between when we need something that anybody can listen to and kind of get the vibe. Is it is it the strength of Emma's singing that sells Box 953? Oh. Undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's no, definitely I'd... not what's in the box. Nobody wants to know that. I don't care. I, I, I uh, wasn't invested about what was in that box. Yeah, no one cares about the box. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about my drunken rendition of Modern Major General. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was actually funny because I I haven't written anything on the show yet, but I have sent Gabrielle a lot of story ideas, and that was one that really came back to bite me. I uh, <laughs> I had like I thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Minkowski got really drunk and decided to, you know, put on a musical as part of a talent show? And I never thought that he was actually going to do it. Um, but it was so much fun, and and I do think I do remember Gabriel being there, and and it made such a difference. And he he was like Emma, you know, just 
shout this as loud and fast as you can. And it doesn't matter if you don't get the words right. Yeah. It was super fun. How big do you imagine the Hephaestus to be? Enormous. Yeah. However Huge. big you think it is, think bigger. That's, yeah, I mean, that's I what think... I love about radio is that that the, the genre it's doesn't endless. Yeah, curtail any kind of physical requirements at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's the biggest thing that drew us to the medium up front was just like as filmmakers, as film majors, Gabrielle and I both coming out of Wesleyan's film department, the idea of doing this practically as a video project is totally unworkable for recent college graduates, but audio just frees you up to, to dream so big. One of the first things that struck me when we first started working on this was that the, the crew of the Hephaestus is so small. I was like, so there's a commander, there's a communications officer, there's the scientist and there's an AI unit that's tiny and, but there's something really beautiful and isolating about that fact. If it's such a tiny crew on such a huge space station and it's a different the task, kind of claustrophobia. Yeah. The task of running it is sort of insurmountable. Um, and you know, it, it, it it justifies very much, I think, just <laughs> how hard it is for all of them every day and how many obstacles they face on a daily basis just because it's so huge and there's so few of them. What what do you miss about visual or physical stage or film performance when you're behind the microphone? There are times when I do miss being able to use my body and engage my body as I would if this were on a film set or on stage. Though I'd like to see Wolf 359, the, the stage version. That would be interesting. Um, but one thing, I mean, as Zach said earlier, the great thing for us has been being able to be in the same physical space. And the the most important thing is to be able to interact with, your partner. Um, Mm. And Zach and I have always been in the studio together. And since we've added other people, they've been in the studio with us. And that is a huge gift. Gabrielle has gotten good at, for me specifically, I think he can tell when giving me like a, a physical direction will help a lot. So there will be, there will be takes when he'll be like, Emma, I want you to start this take standing up and then fall into your chair and start. So, you know, he, he, in that way, we engage a little, a little more physicality into it, even though you wouldn't know it necessarily. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It it is important, I think, to engage your body, even, even if it's just your voice being, being conveyed. So you record in a studio that you rent. Not in a home studio or anything. This isn't a... That's, that's right. Cool. I, I had done uh, a solid to a friend, um, hooking him up with another friend of mine working on his first feature film, uh, Jared Paul, uh, a wonderful Wesleyan grad who did everybody's album that I was friends with in college. And um, 
And so when it was time to record and Gabrielle and I wanted to do something more than my USB mic in my parents' house, the, my like childhood bedroom closet, um, I hit him up. He had a studio and we, uh, we all rolled up and it was a rehearsal space. And right upstairs, there was a <laughs> drum set that just started drumming just as we were recording. And thank God we had enough gobos in the room and like absorptive material that we, we got it done. And that was the yeah. pilot. And so it's a, a miracle to me that the pilot sounds as good as it does. And right after that, he got a new space that's phenomenal. I think they share it, shares it with another Wesleyan grad and a puppeteer, like an old school marionette yeah. puppeteer. So in the wings, there are all these super creepy, beautiful art puppets. And uh, can we and can we go back there, and gloss what a gobo is for the kids at home? Yeah, for the kids at home, uh, the a gobo is essentially a movable wall that is you know filled with foamy goodness. Um, so like sort of it, it looks like a carpeted wall. Some of them um, they're often pretty janky and handmade. Um, <laughs> Were these on casters? You would scoot them around the. Uh... Uh, they weren't with wheels, okay. but you could easily mount some if you wanted yeah. to. They're easy enough to carry around. But basically, you can build little rooms inside of bigger rooms, and they are designed to, to stop sound. Um, so they kill echoes if it's a reflective sort of like, you know, echoey room. Um, it would be nice for me to have one in the room I'm recording in. Um, uh, yeah. if, so going back to the idea of there being like a live... Um, Wolf 359 stage play. Because oh, we definitely that... didn't do that yeah. last December. Yeah, let's let's our, talk yeah, about that. Totally, live show. We totally did that. <laughs> what was that? What was that like? How did that go? I I can speak personally. It was amazing for me as someone who has never acted on stage for more than fifteen minutes. Um, it was a total joy. Zach killed it awesome he was Thank so you. awesome you the whole team it was amazing we got scotty shoemaker out from california yeah. we got alan Rody down our musician and it was the first time in almost a year and a half that we got the entire crew together in one place at one time and we sold out two 70 person shows it was just like such a joy and such an accomplishment for all of us. That's fabulous. Um, yeah. Oh, it was, it was so, so did, it was so wonderful. Did Alan do the music live with a keyboard or something? He or? did. He and did. he crushed it, was, it like oh a mouse. Oh my God. He was so great. Um, and also I just wanted to clarify what I said earlier about wanting to see Wolf 359 <laughs> on stage. I totally forgot that we did that live show. <laughs> when I, um, but uh, to your question of, you know, what do we miss in the visual form? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing for me that I didn't know I missed because I just haven't had enough experience until the live show is that energy of mm -hmm. that immediate connection interaction uh, with a live audience. And, yeah. you know, I am this is no surprise to anyone on the crew, cast and crew. Like I am a massive ham um, <laughs> when, when you give me the space to be. And so there's just something magical about being in front of real live people. Um, that being said, 
my gut when you ask that question of like, what do you miss is, is nothing. Cause I, I've always wanted to be in voiceover and for me, like stage acting and even film acting is a, a nice place to visit, but I've always felt so comfortable, especially as somebody growing up with like body image issues. Like I just, I love the idea of this disembodied voice that can be anyone and do anything. Sure. Yeah, I, I do as well. I really, you know, I, my background is in theater, but more and more I'm more excited and more drawn to the audio format and just really am more excited about voiceover work now than a lot of stage or film acting. And if I can take that opportunity to plug some amazing work that Emma's done with my first best friend on planet earth and his amazing girlfriend, uh, Jason Marin and Rachel Liu and Rachel Liu is the uh, creator and uh, executive producer of a wonderful uh, audio drama podcast uh, called anthology. And Emma, I'll let you talk a little bit about that. I don't know if that's something that we want to. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, well, Zach and I have both worked on that and, um, so basically I believe it's a, it's a podcast and, but it's more of a narration podcast. So it's short stories narrated. And the first season was specifically, I think, Gothic short stories. Um, so Zach, you did the, was it the Telltale Heart? Uh, the Cask of Amontillado. It was a, the Cask the, of Amontillado. The pilot episode. Right. Right. I think it's and all on SoundCloud. Yeah, and um, and you can get it on iTunes as well. Sure. Um, and so Zach did The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe, and I did uh, The Yellow Wallpaper oh. by, yeah, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, mm-hmm. which was awesome. It was super fun. And again, um, Zach was amazing in the Poe story. Do you feel like, so I realize that there's not the same kind of immediate connection with an audience that you get on, uh, on the stage. Do you feel like there is some reflection of that? Um, or do you feel like you're getting something else similar, uh, (laughs) on social media? You must know something because (laughs) we, I think I personally have a ton to say about this because I think we have the best fandom in the universe. Because I can Um, see like whenever I, every time I log into, (laughs) into Tumblr, it's just a wall of Wolf 359 fandom. It's insane. I am so grateful every single day to the incredible and growing community that happened well beyond our control and has far spiraled out of anything we can like really do anything other than awe. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this incredible community of artists and, and just, Oh my God. I, I, yeah. How weird is it to see yourselves depicted in fan art? Emma. <laughs> um, it's, it's totally awesome. I, I again, um one of the beautiful things about about the podcast format and the audio drama format is that people's imaginations are really allowed to run free and some of the you know so 
these characters can be any race, any height, any shape, any, you know, age, gender, you know, it's, um, and so it's really amazing to see how uh, different fans relate to each of these characters in such vastly different ways. And, you know, they're all right, you know, in, in some sense, because they, or they can be. And, um, I will say that I think the, the, the one that really made all of our jaws drop was when somebody made like a gamer video to a portion of, I think it was extreme danger bug actually. It was, this was super early on. Yeah. This was April 9th, April 9th of last year on my birthday, the first fan art started coming out and included, I believe this video and, um, and a couple of drawings Mm-hmm. And uh, and they basically stripped the audio out, used a video game engine, and recreated the moment where Eiffel's venturing out and stumbles upon the commander and the doctor carrying this pressurized <laughs> thing that he forgot to, you know, depressurize. And so it ends with this explosion and blowing a hole through the station, which reveals yeah. some big mystery. It was pretty, it was so great um, because it was pretty late at night or that night. And, and I got a text from Gabrielle that said, are you home? Like, are you by your computer? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And then he called me and he was like, okay, I'm going to send you something in a, in a link, like in an email and you're going to watch it and I'm just going to listen to you <laughs> <laughs> react to it. <laughs> yep. And, uh... And I'm pretty sure the reaction was, oh, my God. And then I had to watch it again. <laughs> it was so fun. It's incredibly humbling and incredibly flattering. Oh, my God. Yes. And the other thing that I was going to say was um, at the live show, we actually got to meet some of our fans. And mm-hmm. yeah. And, and you know, some, some of the of most them, talented artists. Oh, my God. They're, they're like unbelievable. I feel so lucky that they choose to lend some of their talents to depicting the world of Wolf 359. One thing that Emma and I did that, um, that I'm particularly fond of was one of uh, the early pieces of art uh, sort of claimed Eiffel as a, uh, an, a loud and proud bisexual with this really yeah. hilarious t-shirt that said buy in Heliquai, which I, I promptly found for sale. <laughs> Um, and as soon as it came, I basically got it ostensibly for Gabrielle's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he would ever wear this shirt. Um, but, uh, <laughs> because it's like a tank top and it's like, yeah, you know, super, super revealing, um, in more ways than one. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. And so basically Emma and I took a moment, uh, before or after a recording session to reenact, this fans, uh, this, uh, amazing artist, uh, Dax random dragon is their handle. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, on Tumblr. So we reenacted it and shared the sort of side by side. And at this point, there are new people in the fandom who can't tell if we are reenacting their art or if their art is (laughs) reenacting our photo. And it's just, I think it's like a nice little microcosm of the kind of interaction that I've enjoyed. Um, 
this sort of back and forth conversation with our incredible, incredible com- fan community. What is your favorite slash pairing? So <laughs> when we first heard Heifel, I assumed that it meant Hera and Eiffel, oh. which I think is in light of her, one of my favorite movies, the most obvious pairing mm-hmm. in a, you know, heteronormative society. Um, I soon discovered that that is only what it means on Facebook. On hmm. Tumblr, Heifel stands for Hilbert and Eiffel. Of course. <laughs> and uh, I started over New Year's uh, vlogging on YouTube. And uh, for anybody who's interested in checking that out, that is youtube.com slash Z-A-C-H Valenti. That's youtube.com slash Zach Valenti. And uh, in one of my vlogs, I put together for the fans a sex scene oh, between no. Eiffel and Hilbert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I won't I won't spoil the plant monster has a part. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And it was incredible. Within 24 hours, one of the fans stripped the audio. This is Dax again and illustrated an animation and made another video of this animated moment in Wolf 359 alternate never happening on the actual show land. That's but so amazing to create outside of the, the canon story. Emma, Zach, thank you so much for coming on Radio Drama Revival. Thank you, David. This is awesome. Absolute Such pleasure. a pleasure. Thank you for, you know, just amazing questions <laughs> and for, you know, standing for the revival of radio drama. It's, it's, That's right. It's my pr- pleasure and privilege. Oh, man, what a pleasure that was. Thanks, guys. So, faithful listeners, I have marching orders for you. Get you some Wolf 359 stat. They're really good at social media, but I would actually avoid following them until you're caught up, because the creators and fans dish spoilers left and right. So, there's no better time than now to listen to the whole show. Season 3 is just starting to get rolling as of this recording, so you don't have an insurmountable quantity of show to binge. Once you're caught up, though, you should absolutely follow these cats on Twitter. Follow Zach at Zach Valenti, Emma at The Great Dilemma, Gabrielle Urbina at Kinda Evil Genius, and the show itself at Wolf 359 Radio. You can also find Wolf 359 on Tumblr and throw money at them on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash wolf359radio to find out more. And hey, if you don't already, follow us on Twitter or Facebook to get access to all sorts of neat stuff, like bonus content related to each show and dumb jokes I make on Twitter. You should also subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, please give us a star rating. Give one to Wolf359, too. Star ratings are a big part of how podcasts like ours reach more people. And that brings us to the end of today's broadcast. That thumpity-bumpity theme music you hear behind me comes to us courtesy of DJ Stranger Danger, whom you can find on SoundCloud or in beautiful Oakland, California. Our show was produced today by the talented hands and digital audio workstation of Matthew Boudreaux, the fastest man in Buffalo, with assistance from me. Our researchers and production assistants are Monique Boudreaux and Heather Cohen. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouge. Until next time, I'm David Reinstrom. I'll probably still be David Reinstrom next time, too. But, you know, goodbye. And thanks for listening.
Ah, all right, we did a thing. Sweet. Woo! Yay!